0: Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports
1: collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast, part two of our conversation with three-time Super Bowl champion Mark Schlereth, is brought to you in part by Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, $38 a month. Sponsor a child today. Release a child from Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. That's the place to go and you can make a difference in a child's life. Sponsor a child today. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Today's podcast is part two of our conversation with three-time Super Bowl champion Mark Schlereth and It was wonderful to get a chance to sit down with Mark in person at his home outside of Denver, Colorado recently. And Mark and I have known each other a long time, probably a good 16 years or so. Both of us worked at ESPN for many years and actually came in and then left around the same time. Uh, so Mark and I have worked on a ton of projects together, especially NFL-related projects, and he's just such a great guy. I really enjoyed working with him, uh, wonderful, cordial guy to everybody he came in contact with, and if you listened to part one of our conversation yesterday, you heard his journey through college, his journey through almost having to retire before he even got to play a snap in the NFL. You also heard about his story of faith and how Joe Gibbs, his head coach with the Washington Redskins during his time there, uh, played an important role in him coming to Jesus, which was really cool. Uh, And we also heard how he got the nickname Stink, which is just such a great story. So if you haven't heard part one of the podcast yet, go back and listen to that, then come here and listen to part two of the podcast. I'm giving you a chance to hit pause on on the button here. Go back, listen to part one, and then pick it up right here, with part two of our conversation with Mark Schlereth, I think you guys will like it because we're gonna talk about his time right now in part two on uh, coming to the Denver Broncos, what that looked like. There's this iconic photo of him and John Elway after winning Super Bowl 33. We also talk about that moment. Great story there. His time at ESPN, coming to ESPN, being a broadcaster, and his time looking back and what he looks and how he feels. We also talk about his time at ESPN. Spent a long time there. Looking back, how does he view ESPN after many years working there? Uh, He's also a grandfather now, so we talk about being a grandpa. And also his budding movie career, you know, and and TV star and movies and working with guys like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and he's got a great Dwayne Johnson story for you as well. So part two is just as good as part one. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Three-time Super Bowl champion, Fox Sports analyst, movie star, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, he is Mark Schlereth joining us for part two of our conversation right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Now, you're, obviously, we've been listening on this podcast. You're one of the great storytellers that I've ever heard. You have so many great stories. Uh, and you always prided, you had, what, 27 surgeries during your 29. career? 29. 29 yeah. surgeries during yeah. your career. That's insane. But you always, you've talked about it, you wavered through it, you always prided yourself on trying to play. Right. Share with us a story of a time maybe that – maybe a lot of people don't know a story. I know there's the famous uh, uh, kidney stone story, and we can right. certainly share that, of a time when you just shouldn't have been playing. I know even the time when you said your, your legs were numb and your hands right. were numb and you, you tried to play. But is there another game where you were just like, I don't know how I'm on this field, but I'm playing after what I just went through? Yeah.
0: I, you know, I'm probably my, my last game – of my first season, nineteen ninety five, here in Denver. Okay, um, I had we had played Kansas City in Kansas City, and I I caught my knee in a funny position, and um, and tore a, a big hole in the articular cartilage in my knee. So there's a there's a, a, a spot the size of like a quarter that's just raw bone. Mm. It's just exposed bone. Yeah. and literally when I would touch it I would just collapse like like about almost make you pass out wow and so um it was really important to me to start all 16 games because of the fact that they took a chance on me mm. and I had failed three physicals and so I really wanted to, to start all 16 games um I we we flew out to Oakland it was in Oakland And I couldn't participate on Saturday in the walkthrough. I could, I literally couldn't walk. And, um, I was like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make this, but it was important. And they, they were like, you know what? We'll sit you down. I said, no, I can play. I can play. I'll be, I'll be all right. I'll be fine. And, you know, I remember, I remember praying and I, I did this all the time. I, you know, throughout my career after that point, I had this kind of imaginary jar and I said, God, like I will gladly accept this pain when I return from this game and I'll gladly accept it between plays. But that's seven seconds when that ball is snapped, just let me play like nothing in, in, is hindering me. Wow. And I go, I'm going to put this in this jar and you just hold it here for me until I'm done. And I went out and played that game and played great, and um, you know played almost the entire of that game. I ended, up, I ended up coming out late in the fourth quarter, um, and we had the game in hand, and you know we won. It was to go eight and eight that season, um, but like literally, that was that was God allowing me to play that game because I couldn't. Like I said, I couldn't participate in a walkthrough on Saturday. And what about when the game was over? Barely walking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, you know, you you end up rolling on adrenaline through the night, and you're okay. It was the next day, yeah. but the next day I was literally the next day I was in surgery and and had a microfracture surgery on that, and mm. you know, and and went through all the rehab and stuff. But yeah, that you know, there's a lot of a lot of those games that I played that way. That um, you know that it probably shouldn't have, but I did. I tore my ACL in college and. And, uh, I tore it early in the third quarter and played the rest of the game. Um, it's just, you prided yourself on <laughs> doing that. I did, you know, it was just one of those things, again, like one of my favorite scriptures is in Philippians, um, uh, in the second, in second chapter, starting in, in um, or second chapter of second verse is um, is, is always been something that, you know, um, writing the church at, at Philippi and talking about, um, make my joy complete by being of like mind, united in spirit, um, you know, united in love of one spirit. Um, you know, and and then it goes on to talk about, um, not only make my joy complete by being united in love, but considering one another is more important than ourselves. Yeah. Not only considering our own, you know, our own needs, but the needs of others. Yeah. And that was always kind of my personal mission statement was, Every guy on this team, from the guys I play with to the equipment managers to the trainers to the coaches, I always felt that you guys are more important than me. And so it was a real, it was kind of my act of, of service to the guys that I played
1: with is that I'm going to go out here and lay it on line for you guys uh, regardless. Tell me about faith during your time in Denver. Even maybe during your time in Washington, you obviously we influenced right. by the way Coach Gibbs uh, you know shared his priorities. But take me through just being an NFL player and a man of faith and maybe trying to intersect, which is what this podcast is the intersection right. of sports and faith. Right. Intersecting faith with sports, trying to achieve, trying to be, you know, the best player that you can be, but also trying to live out your faith, being right. a believer. What yeah. did that look like for you?
0: Um, you know, I was I was from the time I walked in. To training camp in Washington, um, it was modeled for me, and so it was part of the culture of the Washington Redskins, and so it became one of those things that was that was easy to be a part of, and you wanted to be a part of it, and and you know, and I had so many close friends that were brothers in Christ, and that we supported one another, and and we were you know we had our weekly Bible studies and we were connected together. And so when I came to Denver, none of that was going on. And so, uh, one of the first things I did when I got here was I um, found out who the team chaplain or the team pastor was and connected with him and um, a good friend of mine named Bill Rader. And then I said, let's put a Bible study together. So from that point forward, every Monday night for six years, we hosted a Bible study at my house and and it was great we would do you know everybody would come over my wife is her her she's just got such a spirit of service but her gift is cooking mm. she is
1: phenomenal it's a good gift.
0: Right. It's a great gift. <laughs> Especially
1: um, when you're an offensive line. Yeah, I always I always say
0: I will trade unskilled labor for skilled. So you cook, I'll do the dishes. Like, I will I'll clean up. Yeah. So just make the meal. But yeah. she would make these incredible, elaborate meals and we would get everybody, we'd get a ton of guys to come over mm-hmm. and eat and be together and fellowship and then we'd turn on the game and um Monday nights were really that was that was part of, of kind of what we did and it's it's interesting because you don't ever know, like every Monday I would have flowers and I'd invite everybody and in. and, um, you know, we had quite a few guys who showed up and a lot of guys who didn't, Yeah. but you don't ever know the seeds you plant and what God's going to do with those seeds. So Harry Swain is the team chaplain of the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Harry Swain was invited every week to my house for Bible study. He never showed up once. I saw him a couple of years ago. He goes, you'll, you will never know the impact that had on my life. Wow. Like I didn't show, but it had an impact. Like I knew, yeah. you know, and, and when he was ready, cause it wasn't judgmental and it wasn't in your face. It was, Hey, you didn't even have to be part of the Bible. So just come over and eat. Yep. Show up late. Like what, if you know, that yeah. it was, it was, it was never condemning. It was always inviting. It was always loving. And um, and then you know all those years
1: later you said like he's the chaplain of the Ravens you're like wow that's pretty cool you know well I think that's a great lesson for a lot of our listeners obviously are people of faith and we get we, we get a lot of us get frustrated when we feel like okay we're praying for you know an unsaved relative or somebody right. to just come to know the Lord and sometimes we don't know that the seeds we're planting we might not ever see. Uh, right. Those seeds come to harvest even in the time that we're on this earth, but right. it's that's a great reminder that we should never waver, right? Right, absolutely, and and you know it's
0: it's not you, it's God. It's up to God. So once you plant, the we seed, don't we don't do the savor,
1: right?
0: right, right? <laughs> so right. You, you just gotta you, you gotta plant it, and I've always just tried to plant it by. You know, my gift more than anything is, is, you know, it's not preaching and it's not, you know, proselytizing. It's loving yeah, people. It's loving them. Yep. And so that's what I've always been good at. And, um, and you know, that's what I've tried to do. You have three children.
1: Uh-huh. And you have three Super Bowl rings. Right. Now, it's easy to say you can't pick your favorite child. That's impossible. Right. Can you pick your favorite Super Bowl? Is that possible?
0: Yo, yes. oh, yeah. Which easy. one?
1: It's easy. Super Bowl Thirty Two. That's the Denver-Green Bay game. Green, Denver-Green Bay the game. The famous John Elway helicopter right. run. Right. Okay. Why and, that game?
0: Um, well, I, I think several different reasons. Super Bowl twenty six against the Buffalo Bills, skins against the Buffalo Bills, we were seven-and-a-half-point favorites. We ran roughshod through the whole league. Yes, you did. Right. We gave up... 14-2 that year. Yeah, 14-2. And, yeah. um, and we didn't play a lot of players in the last game of the season against the Philadelphia Eagles, in which we lost that game... And we ended up giving up three sacks in that game. And that gave us nine total sacks on the season. So we would have set an NFL record because the record was seven. But we went through – that was the Miami Dolphins. But we went through that season going into that game with six. And I truly believe had we played all our starters the whole game, we wouldn't have given up a sack. But then we went through the rest of the the postseason – we played Atlanta, we played Detroit, and we played the Buffalo Bills without giving up a sack. So we gave up nine in nineteen games. It's Incredible. I mean, it was an incredible number. Um, but we're seven and a half point favorites. And you know, it really, it's interesting. In Atlanta, we played Super Bowl thirty three against the Falcons. We were eight and a half point favorites, and we had you know we gone. We started off the season thirteen and zero. Yeah. And we ended up being you know again another fourteen and two campaign, but you know we we ran through everybody um, and so honestly those two games for me were more relief than they were joy like mm-hmm. thank goodness we didn't screw that up cuz right. we're a better team right super bowl 32 we were a kick we were 13 plus point underdogs at kickoff I think we were eleven and a half point underdogs.
1: You're playing the defending champion right. Green Bay Packers with Brett Favre.
0: And they had this big, you know, defensive line and we had played them in December the year before when we were thirteen and three and they crushed us. Mm. But we did we again we had locked everything up so we didn't play a lot of our players and so I think they had a, a false sense of security of what kind of team we actually were. Um, but more than that it was all that kind of playing on house money and there's just real euphoric feeling after that victory. But the biggest thing for me was, and I think this was for most of the guys, um, maybe more back then than now, we all understood the history of the league. Like we all, most of us came from other teams. So mm-hmm. we had watched John Elway get crushed by the Skins in the Super Bowl. We'd watched John Elway get devoured by the Giants in the Super Bowl. We watched John Elway get absolutely ramshackled by the Niners in the Super Bowl. So we knew the history of the league. And we're like, this guy is such a good teammate and he's such a great player. Like, he doesn't deserve to go out this way. Mm. And so there was a real sense of, like, when when Pat Bowen said this one's for John, it really was. Yeah. Like, I was more excited to see him win that championship than like me saying oh I want a you know world championship I was more excited to see the look on his face and to see him celebrate when John Mobley knocks down that fourth down pass to Mark Chimura and we're winning the champion and you see his face like that to me meant more than you know than winning it for myself it was and I think most of us felt that way
1: there was that moment when he scores a touchdown, too. I think it's the next year that you're right behind him with yes. your arms up in right. the air. It's just you could sense that you guys really uh, just enjoy. Because that offensive line and the quarterback have a special relationship. Right. You could sense the joy in trying to uh, block and go to battle for your guy. Right. You know, it's
0: really funny. In, in that moment, because we had run a quarterback, uh, quarterback keeper. Yeah. So it was out of shotgun, and it was quarterback draw is what it was. So, you know, he takes a step back, we let everybody kind of pass rushes, then we wheel him, and he takes off and tries to, you know, so you're basically running some type of spread where you're getting everybody out, and then he's kind of picking his way on this quarterback draw. And um, so, of course, when you're blocking guys, you're pushing them to the outside to create a gap in the middle, as soon as he takes off the ball, you know, they all react. So as they start to react, you're just trying to drive-walk them, right? More like on the seven-yard line. So we're just ah, driving. It's a big mosh pit, you know. And we fall down in the end zone. And there's that iconic picture of of John laying there and me laying it. And he's got this big grin on his face. (laughs) And so we fall in the end zone together. And we're literally pressed helmet to helmet like this. And, you know, he's looking at me. and And I can't move. And he can't move. We're both wedged in there at the time. And so we're both looking at each other, and there's just, just this feeling of, we just accomplished it. We just won a back-to-back world championships. Like, this game is over. This was the the nail, the final nail in the coffin. Mm-hmm. And, and John was looking at me for something poignant, like something big at that moment. And I just looked at him and go, hi, buddy. How you doing? And, <laughs> and he just started laughing. And he's like, you're an idiot. Like, you are an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, kind of. So, I mean, that was kind of why we started laughing. And, and um, you know, and that's one of the, of, of, I get asked a lot of questions, but that picture is brought to me all the time saying, what
1: happened here? Yeah, because yeah. you're both smiling. Right. We're talking to Mark Schlereth here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, April 18th, 2001. I looked it up. That's the day you retired uh-huh. and step away from the NFL at the age of 35. How hard was that for you to step away? It was easy. It was easy. Yeah, it was easy. He just knew it was time. Yeah, yeah. I uh,
0: you know, it it's really interesting and and you've had my son on the podcast before. Daniel, yeah. And you know, we've had this conversation several different times because baseball has tried to kick him out. <laughs> <laughs> That's and true. He's uh as stubborn as I am, maybe more. So he won't, you know, he won't quit, but there's been several different times when he's been like I think it's time. And I've said, no, it's not time. Like, you're a better pitcher than you've ever been before, Mm. and you need to stick this out. And my reasoning behind that was a couple, there's a couple different reasons, but um, I think the journey and the process is important. And I never want him to sit down on his couch at 40, 45, going, I had something left, and I let them run me out mm And so I said, you know, not that my career was the greatest career ever, but I said, you know, the one thing that I sleep well at night with is that um I don't have one regret. I don't ever look back on my career and say, Boy, I wish I'd have studied harder, or I wish I'd just given a little bit more effort, or I wish I wouldn't have skipped those lifting days, or yeah. I wish I'd, you know, just watch more film. I was like, I got everything, I may have gotten more out of my body than any player that's ever played the game. So I can be done with it and go, okay, what's next? What's my next adventure? And it was really interesting because that season, the 2000 season, um, I'd hurt my knee the first day of camp, had surgery on my knee, came back, played in the last preseason game, played the Niners and played really well. And we went in, we opened the season um, in St. Louis against the Rams. Greatest show on turf. Right. And we had, I mean, it was a shootout. It was like a 41-38. It was something crazy like that. Um, But the very last drive of the game, we get the ball. We're down in our own end zone. And I plant my foot in the turf. And I, bam, hit that raw spot in my knee again. And it's excruciating. I finish the game. And... I'm surprised the next day my knee doesn't really swell up. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm all right. So, the you know, I do my lift and do everything. Wednesday, I get in my stance and I hit that raw spot. And it's just like, oh, I'm like, oh, this is not good. But Thursday, it's a little bit better. Friday, I'm okay. Saturday, I'm okay. Sunday, I play great. So, for three straight weeks, that's kind of how my season went. And it was, you know, a little bit more sore on Wednesday and it was a little better on Thursday, Friday, but I, I was playing as well as I've ever played. This is year twelve. And I'm like, I'm gonna sign another three year deal. <laughs> I'm like, I'm playing great. Like, why, why wouldn't I, right? Sure. And um, and then all of a sudden it just went downhill. And I was it my my knee was so bad. And I'll never forget I'm watching film or a practice and I'm struggling, like my knee's struggling. And we're watching film, and it's kind of a gray, like, snowy day. And um, it's probably, like, an early, like, October-ish, or late October. But it's, like, a bad, you know, it's one of those Denver days that blows in. Usually it's 8 degrees, and it's, you know, cloudy and overcast rain and kind of wet snow, right? Yeah. and And I'm having a tough time watching the film. And I'm watching the left guard, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, Oh, my God, who is that? That guy's awful. And I thought it was one of our practice squad guys taking some reps. And then I zoom in because <laughs> I used to wear glasses, you know, I couldn't see. And I'm like zooming in and I'm wearing my glasses. I'm like, oh, that's me. <sighs> and it really dawned on me as I was struggling trying to get through this season. And I kept ha I had another surgery and I kept having cortisone injections. You know, I was doing everything I could to be out there. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it dawned on me that I was like, this is the first time I always said, when I was more of a hindrance than a help, it was time to go. And I was like, I'm I'm more of a hindrance to this team than I'm a help, and they're letting me because of my history. Continue to try to figure it out. And at that point, I pulled Mike. It was November. I pulled Mike aside and said, please don't announce it, but put me on IR. I'm done. I'm no longer a help to this team. Wow. And so. Yeah, and, and at that point I was like, "All right, it's you know
1: time to start the next chapter." And the next chapter was ESPN. Seventeen years or so there, almost sixteen years, and right. many people knew you there, obviously uh, as a broadcaster. So I wonder for you, you know, listen, we could all pick apart things that we didn't like or did like about our jobs, but. How do you look back at your time at ESPN? You have fond memories, I would assume. Yeah. But what do you what do you look what do you think of when you look back at your? That's a long time to be at a place. Yeah. Sixteen years. It was it was a phenomenal run, and I loved it. And um,
0: you know, I loved I, I loved it like being a player. Like it was for me, it was a lot. That camaraderie, yeah. getting together, talking about football, trying to explain the game, um, studying the game, talking to coaches, talking to players. Um, watching film and trying to find something unique to bring to television that nobody else was bringing to television. It, mm-hmm. I, I just found it stimulating. It was fun, um, right? It was a, it was a blast yeah. and had such good friends from Wingo to Teddy Bruschi to Herm Edwards, to yep. Mike and Mike. And, you know, it was a great run. 16 years. It was just an absolute blessing to be a part of. And and to be able to be kind of one of the mainstays of NFL Live for 16 years, it's um, oh, yeah. it was a it was a like I said, it was a great run, and just have nothing but fond memories of the people that I
1: worked with and um, and the guys that you know that I did the shows with. And then acting somehow comes into the picture for right. the game the Rock Hoover, guiding light. Acting comes around. You have a small part there. Then you're in in Red Dawn. You mentioned right. that earlier in the podcast, and have worked with The Rock on hbo's ballers mm. where does this acting thing come into play how does that even happen you know people it really <laughs> have
0: initially it happened from the guiding light yep. and i thought i was being punked so i got an email and i was actually in the newsroom at ESPN, the old newsroom oh i remember it yeah and um and so i'm reading this email and i'm like come on i'm like i think wingo or somebody's am <laughs> like looking around like i don't even so i closed down the email i'm not even going to like I'm not even gonna act like I read it, right? <laughs> and so the email was from a, a guy by the name of Rob Decina, who was the casting director of The Guiding Light, and just said, "Hey man, I'm a big sports fan, but I love you. I love your television presence." Mm. And and he goes, and he goes, "You have a this is He goes, "You have a soap opera look," <laughs> and he goes, "I love go? for you to be on my show." And so that started a two year recurring role where. You know, I did 15, 16 episodes or whatever. Every, every couple of months I'd roll in, you know. There's and, and, Rock Hoover. Yeah. And so. What a great name, by the way. Yeah, Rock Hoover, which <laughs> I invented on uh, Mike and Mike. That's I right. I created that on Mike and Mike. Yep. Um, and so, and then, you know, I just have been like occasionally people reach out. They still reach out for me to do things. And, um and oftentimes I'm so busy doing other things. I'm like, I can't do it. Um, time. So, you know, I've done three seasons of ballers. This was the, this is the fourth season. I'm not on the fourth season because I couldn't fit it into my schedule. Yeah. You know, so, um, but it's been that, that part's been fun. It's interesting. Um, you know, but it's been fun and it's great to get to know some of the, the, some of the mainstays and, you know, get to work with Dwayne Johnson and he is, um, He's a wonderful human being. I was going to yeah. ask you about The Rock. Tell right. me The rock story and what he's like. So, every morning I'd walk into the Broncos facility and I was always the first guy in. And I'd always pour myself a cup of coffee. I get First, I'd get shorts on because I'd get in the hot tub right at like 5.15 in the morning, right? Yep. And the first thing I would do, I'd get my shorts on. then I'd walk in, I'd pour myself a cup of coffee and I'd have a cup of coffee with Greek or uh, our esteemed uh, athletic trainer, uh, Steve Antonopoulos. And every morning while I was pouring my coffee, there's a plaque. It's an anonymous quote that hangs in the Broncos training room. And it says, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Mm. And I'm like, I aspire to be that. Every day. And even though I haven't memorized, I read it every day.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It was just something cool. Like I walk in, I'd read it. I'd read it out loud as I was pouring my coffee. And I'm doing, I'm on the set of ballers. And you know, Dwayne couldn't be more gracious to me. And then you just kind of sit back and you watch how he treats others. And he's gracious to everybody. And he knows all the cameramen's names and he knows everybody on the set. So we're doing this scene where we run this kid on a 40 on the beach. And after he runs the beach 40, he gets really excited because he posts a really good time and he, He runs, he does a backflip off this, you know, he does a front flip off this boat. And then he does, runs up this palm tree and does a backflip off of it. And so obviously the actor can't do that. And there's this kid that's a gymnast. He's he's warming up and, and we're just watching him. Like me and the other actors are standing around just watching him. And it's like fascinating to watch this kid doing flips all over the place and warming up. And here comes Dwayne Johnson. Be bopping down the trail. You know, he just came back from his sick because we're going to shoot this. Yeah. And he's watching this kid. He watches him for two seconds. So he can goes, my God, what's your name? He goes, I'm Dwayne Johnson. How are you? What's your And the kid's like, yeah, I know who you are. Right. <laughs> he's like, well, what's your name? And so the kid tells him his name. He's like, how'd you get into this, man? How'd you, how'd you, how do you come to be here today? Wow. He's like completely engaged with this kid. And so this kid was a gymnast, you know, and now I'm listening in. I'm like. Well, yeah, I didn't introduce myself, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, he he spends like ten minutes talking to this kid, getting his kind of life story. Gymnast went to college, got injured, ended up quitting. You know, gym, had to quit gymnastics. Now he's you know a stuntman. man. He does this stuff kind of. I mean, he had his whole lowdown. He goes, "Really cool, what you're doing, man? Thanks for being here." You know, and I'm like, dude, that's awesome. That's like cool. that kid. For the rest of his life, we will go, let me tell you about the encounter I have with Dwayne Johnson. And it's not fabricated. It's just who he is. That's cool. It was, so it's really been a, a cool thing for me to witness
1: you have so much going on, or you, mm-hmm. you have, you obviously working as a broadcaster, you host the morning show here in Denver now, 104.3, the fan, mm-hmm. right? Um, stinking Good Chili still going strong, yes, right? Yes. The Clubhouse Gear, right. all of that. So you have a lot going on. How do you balance everything and still stay grounded in your fate, still be a good husband, obviously a good dad and a grandpa? Right. I met your grandchildren before yes, we started taping, yeah. they're amazing. How do you balance all that and still stay grounded in your faith?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank, thank God, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Amen. Um, like I'm grateful. Mm. I'm just grateful, and I I try to every day. Um, I just try to be grateful, and 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 I mean that. Like I am, you know, I don't deserve it, um, and I'm cognizant of the things that I screw up on. Yeah. But um, I, am, I just have a grateful heart and I have a humble heart. And, um, you know, I, I wake up and I try to, you know, I heard something. Gosh, I don't even know where I heard it. But it was a Jerry Seinfeld story and when he was breaking into comedy and the whole premise, I actually read it in like Ink Magazine or something. And the whole premise when he started off was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. I'm going to call it Don't Break the Chain. Hmm. And so for 365 days, he wrote a joke every day for straight calendar year. And the big thing was, don't break the chain. Write the joke. Sometimes you could write it in two minutes. Sometimes it'd take him four hours. But every day he was going to write a joke. Wow. And I read it and I was like, that is really cool. So it's on the top of my day planner, every page says don't break the chain. And so what's your chain? My chain is every day I do a devotional Hmm. and then every day I pray and I just try to be cognizant of how blessed I am and how grateful I am to have, you know, it's not without issues. You know, God never promised it was going to be smooth, (laughs) right? Ain't that the truth, (laughs) my friend. Amen. That's right. But you know, you can choose to focus on the things that aren't going right, or you can choose to focus on the things that are. And I just choose to focus on the great stuff. Um, and, and, you know, understand that bad things are going to happen to even good people. And it's part of the growth process. And, and even during the midst of those bad things to still be grateful. Mm. You know, I I did my first year broadcasting with, uh, Dick Stockton, legend yeah. Dick Stockton. A legend, yeah. love Dick Stockton. And um, and he asked me, he's like, how are you so positive? Like we hadn't known each other for, you know, a couple
1: days. Yeah.
0: It's because I'm grateful. Huh. And it's so interesting because I made him get up with me every Sunday morning and have breakfast. Wow. And he would 50... One years of broadcast, he'd never gotten up to have breakfast with his partner, wow. and I made him get up with me and and prayed for our day. Prayed for our broadcast. Prayed for our day together, that we'd just be connected. That's cool. And you know, and and like it's funny because I I called my wife after the first week and I was like, my best friend in the world right now is seventy-five <laughs> and he's just that's a right. he's a wonderful man. Yeah, that's great. And and just to just to have that ability, like for me to connect with Dick Stockton. And like there is there is no ego here. Teach me. Like, yeah. like help me. Um he's just a, a phenomenal mentor and a wonderful man, a wonderful friend and, um,
1: and, you know, I'm going to get to work with him again this year, and I'm blessed to be able to do it. That's awesome. We're going to wrap it up here. Two more questions. First, uh-huh. I have in my hand, the podcast listeners can't see this. This is the September 1998 Sports Spectrum mm-hmm. with a Mark Schlereth-Tony Jones dual cover here called mm-hmm. Bronco Diehards. I just... I guess I'll just ask you simply, what comes to mind when, and I see all the tape knee and all right, this yeah, stuff. Right, yeah, the knee braces. What comes to mind when you see this picture and you think about these times in 1998 with, this is before you won the Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl. Right. With uh, with Tony Jones in that time. Um, you know, it just was,
0: for me, being here with Tony, who is, you know, a brother in Christ and just a wonderful human being, Um and a great teammate. And we, you know, played side by side for several different, for several years. Um, but it's, it's connectivity. Mm. And one of the things that I loved about playing offensive line is you could learn a lot. This country could learn a lot from a group like this. Um, Cause it's five guys from five different parts of the country five different backgrounds, five different economic upbringings. Yeah. That for us to be good, we have to forget about our own individual wants and desires and put the group in front of us or in front of our own individualism. And, you know, you can take all these five guys from five different parts of the country and, and you can come together and be kind of one breathing, living organism that's completely reliant on one another to do our job. And you put differences aside and you stand beside one another and you fight for one another. And I will tell you, one of the most beautiful things in the world is to be in an offensive line meeting room Monday after a game.
1: Hmm.
0: Because... Our coach could be dog cussing me for giving up a sack. And my left tackle, Tony Jones, would be the first guy to jump on the hangar. And said, say, man, I was supposed to drag. I got out too quick. I had a wide defensive end. I will 100%. That's my responsibility. I didn't give him, I didn't give him body presence. I'll take that sack. And my center, Tommy Nail, would be like, you know, baloney, if you think you're taking that. I'm taking that sack. I got hung up on the nose. I was supposed to get over there. Meanwhile, I'm fighting. Mm-hmm. I'm fighting to take responsibility for a bad play. And we're all fighting to do that. And you have got to be so connected. You know, I walk down the streets of LA or I walk down the streets of New York when I'm working at Fox. Yeah. And we as a society are so caught up in a four inch iridescent screen Hmm. that we can't even connect with one another. We can't even say good morning or hello. And we are so caught up in ourselves that we can't even see anybody in need. Um, we can't hold the door open for a mother struggling with a carriage and a baby. Like, it just baffles me yeah. that that's how disconnected we are as people. And so, for me, when I think of playing offensive line and I think about playing next to a guy like Tony, I just think about the sacrifices that we're willing to make for one another so that we can, that we can have success as a
1: unit. This has been really great, Mark. Thank you. You've been so generous with your time. Um, let's close it with this. We asked this question to all of our guests on the podcast. Where you are in your season of life right now, mm-hmm. 52 years old, grandpa, husband, right. all these other things. What has the Lord been teaching you right now? What are you learning from Jesus during this season of life? Um, I, think, I think the biggest thing
0: that, that I have been learning is that life is precious And life is short. And, you know, we had a granddaughter born with congenital heart defect just not quite two years ago. Yeah. And you want to talk about a helpless feeling. Because as a parent, you, and as a grandparent, you want to be able to fix everything. Absolutely. Right? You want to make it okay. And there is no more helpless feeling than watching your granddaughter get carted out of her room to go have a six hour open heart surgery. And you just put your faith in God and put your faith in the surgeon and, and thank the Lord we did it at the children's hospital. They were phenomenal Rocky Mountain children's hospital. I prayed with the doctor, I prayed with the surgeon, I prayed with the nurses. Yeah. And then you just say, God, you know, it's truly out of your hands at that right. point it's in the Lord's hands. And so anyhow, um, to, to just embrace life and and to understand what a gift it is and, uh, and to just enjoy it like we are having <laughs> so much fun with our granddaughters. I always, I joke around with my kids all the time, it's the reason that grandparents and grandkids get along so well is because they have a common enemy, the parent. And I'm like, I tell my kids all the time, I don't even like you guys anymore. I'm so, I'm so in love with my granddaughters. And, uh, but it's, it, it is, you know, to me, it's life is so precious. And, um, and just to take the time to be connected,
1: you know, is, is just so important. This has been amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's awesome to see you again, my friend. Likewise. I always appreciate our conversations at ESPN, and I'm grateful that you were able to take the time to do this. Thank you so much, Mark Schlereth. My pleasure. Man, that was one of the best podcasts we've ever done here at Sports Spectrum. One of my favorites as well. Three-time Super Bowl champion Mark Schlereth now with Fox Sports, of course, an FS1 analyst and doing NFL games for Fox. And Mark also is the co-host of Schlereth and Evans in the morning on 104.3 FM in Denver. So if you find yourself in the Denver area, Tune the radio to 104.3, and you can hear Mark give his thoughts on all things sports on the morning show there in Denver, Colorado. Three-time Super Bowl champion, two with the Denver Broncos, and of course, one with the Washington Redskins. There is so much good stuff. It's impossible to wrap this podcast up with everything that you heard on part one and part two of our interview with Mark Schlereth. But I think my favorite part of this podcast, maybe my favorite story, Was him talking about how Joe Gibbs impacted his life for Christ. And he had already grown up in a Christian home and kind of had a relationship with the Lord. But then to actually have that challenge and have it be a part of who he was as a player with the Redskins and Joe Gibbs living it out versus just telling people, hey, you need to follow Jesus. The fact that he lived it out and walked it every single day was what was attractive to Mark. And honestly, what's attractive to so many other people who have come to faith, it's about the people who actually live it, not just speak it, not just talk it. So that was probably my favorite part. I also really love the the, the story that Mark share, shared about becoming a Stink and how that nickname Stink came about, and also the story of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, which was also a great one to hear. So listen, I would say go back and listen to this podcast again, because there was so much good stuff in part one and part two Uh, that you won't get bored listening to it a second time. But just really appreciate Mark. He was so generous with his time opening up his house to myself and my colleague Justin to come in and and tape this interview and uh, really just appreciate his friendship and appreciate him being willing to come on and be so open and transparent here on the podcast. And we thank you, and we also thank Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, $38 a month. You can sponsor a child today and release a child from poverty. Go to compassion.com slash sports spectrum. Sponsor a child today. We thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at sports underscore spectrum. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Leave a comment, maybe send a post or a tweet of some sort letting people know about this podcast. Uh, You can copy the link right from sportspectrum.com or you can screenshot it from your iTunes app or from Spotify or Google Play or however you listen to podcasts. Let people know about this interview. That's really the best way to get the word out and to tell people about these stories that you're hearing of sports and of faith. We appreciate you for joining us here on the podcast. Again, go to sportspectrum.com, get all of your Sports Spectrum content, daily devotionals, articles every single day on the intersection of sports and faith. Thanks so much for joining us here in the podcast. We will see you next time right here on Sports Spectrum.